Welcome to Fueling the Revenue Engine. My name is Roz Greenfield, co-founder and chief enablement officer at Level 213. This podcast was created as a response to requests that we've gotten from the enablement community looking for resources to support them as they navigate this evolving landscape of enablement. As we look to the future of our profession, we believe that this is a great time to connect with other enablement leaders for discussions that take a closer look at relevant enablement topics. It's our hope that this podcast provides insight, guidance, and support to the go-to-market enablement and sales leadership community during both prosperous and challenging times alike. We're coming to you from San Francisco, California, where we are in the middle of figuring out what the impact of the coronavirus will be now and in the long term. For the immediate future, we are still under a shelter-in-place order here, which means that we're using conferencing technology instead of studio sessions to put this podcast together. As such, please excuse any fluctuations in our audio. Today, we welcome our guest, Katie McDonald. Katie has spent her entire career in enablement, so I'm really so excited to have her as a guest on this podcast. She started out as an AE at Savo, which is now a part of Seismic, and was in that day selling what was the leading sales enablement solution of the time. And then eventually she moved into sales enablement herself. So she has the perspective of the AE that she supports as well as obviously being in the role itself. Today, Katie is sales enablement and productivity lead at AWS. Uh, before joining AWS, Katie spent five years at Optimizely where she really was a big part of scaling the enablement function there. And I had the privilege of working with Katie for almost three years at Optimizely. So what we're gonna be discussing is the importance of agile enablement and talk about the strategies that it takes to have an agile approach to revenue enablement. And just a little bit of background on this before we kind of get into it, for a very long time, professionals developing learning experiences followed a much more waterfall approach and design to enablement. And you know, when I think back to how I was taught to design learning programs, you know, you analyze this, the situation and the needs, and then you go away and design the learning experience, and then you develop the content, and then when everything is perfect, you roll out the program, and you implement it, and then you try to get some feedback and evaluate the program. And in a perfect world, that makes a lot of sense, and it was a way that we've done, we did things for a very long time. The challenge is that in a very dynamic work environment, and especially in the environments that we find ourselves in today, you could end up spending months designing and developing a program that is completely out of date by the time it's ready for prime time. And then you also can iterate from your learnings and from the learner's learnings as they're going through it because you're, it's so waterfall and, and once and done. So there really has to be a better way. And we've been looking for the shift over the past few years of how to execute better. And this, you know, the agile enablement comes from the way products are, product teams are thinking about agile as well. And by way of definition, we're defining it as really responding to the urgent needs and the strategic initiatives in a very quick way that aligns the company around the dynamic priorities. And it requires the enablement team to be very flexible and to provide responsive training and provide responsive enablement content that they can deploy in days, not months, right? Or even weeks, not months. And I think what we saw right when COVID-19 hit and everybody went into shelter in place was this really quick need for agile situational enablement that forced everybody to say, okay, what do we have to shift the way we're doing things and literally overnight. So what we're gonna be discussing is our learnings having designed in the waterfall model of enablement and then looking for tactics and best practices to make that shift to a much more agile approach. So welcome Katie, I'm so excited to have you with us. 
How have you been holding up in, in the world that we're living in today? Yeah, you know, we're hanging in there just like everyone else. Um, as you said, it's an agile world we live in now, right? Things change daily and we have to be adaptable. And that's why this approach to enablement and life in general is so relevant. And I'm really glad we're going to be speaking about it today. Yeah, I think your point of like not only enablement, but life is it's a, it, everybody could relate to that. So I'm really glad that. Um, that we're having this conversation. Thank you for making the time. So when I think about an example of a waterfall training program uh, design, that, one thing that comes to mind is a program that we worked really hard on when we were at Optimizely. The Enablement team designed and developed a training program that we were calling Managing Your Business Like a Boss. And the goal was to create these micro-learning modules that covered all the, the foundational skills and practices that an AE needed to be able to manage their territory and grow their pipeline. And as I remember it, it probably was one of the, tra the best trainings that we designed. And we worked mm -hmm. really, really hard on the content. Uh, you know, we were a team of three at the time, and I think each of us had a part in it. There was just one problem. I don't think it ever saw the light of day, right? I don't, I don't think we ever rolled it out. Never. So I don't know how you remember the project. Why do you think we failed to get it out? And what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, so I think this is a classic example of why waterfall doesn't work. Um, from my uh, recollection, the impetus for us going about building this training was it was earlier in the year, people had rolled out territories and sales leaders realized, oh my gosh, our account executives need to know how to manage their territory and build territory plans. So yeah. us being a rock star enablement team we were, we met with stakeholders, AEs, leaders. Uh, we, we spent a good solid, like, I feel like three weeks just fact finding to understand yeah. this. And yeah. from there we built our design plans and we got buy off and then you know, we were building the content and like total, it took us two and a half, three months to get it all done. And guess what? Two and a half, three months, you're middle of the year and no one's territory planning anymore. Yeah. Or, so, or they, they didn't start the year off territory planning. Yeah. yeah no one's going to do a territory plan in July. You yeah. need to talk about territory planning in January, in February, at the beginning of the year. That's when it's the most relevant. So this speaks to two points, right? Enablement works when it's relevant to what they're doing at the time of need. And two, you can't spend two to three months just focused on one big initiative because the world's changing around you. The needs of the business are changing around you. But if you're so focused on building this amazing, perfect training, program, process, tool, and you're not paying attention to what's actually going on, guess what? You lose sight of everything. So we had this amazing learning path, micro learnings. Uh, we invested so much time and it truly was a, a beautiful piece of enablement. I actually think it was a great program. I really think that we should still roll it out, even though neither of us work there anymore. 100%. And actually, it's funny you say that we pulled back to that because, um, uh, they launched account planning. I was like, take a look at this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Done it before, man. We just never saw the light of day. But, you know, this was a case in point example of enablement being so focused on delivering something that was, that, that just needed to be done, right? Like uh, perfection is the enemy of yeah. done yeah, is what I say perfect. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, we probably could have gotten at least a territory planning template out the door. We could have done it in like, modules and rolled them out one at a time like you would in an agile environment but instead we waited until we had everything packaged and guess what and then if no i remember, one, 
it too, it wasn't just so that like territory plans were people weren't doing territory plans anymore, or they had done whatever they had done and mm-hmm. it probably wasn't good. Other things came up, like a product launched, or we found out yeah. about competitive thing. And so we had a like a shift and, and work on not roll it out. Like I remember sitting on it for a while and like leadership saying, okay, don't roll it out this week because we have, you know, this and then, okay, um, next. And then before you knew it, it was, it was J- July and it didn't make any sense anymore. So it was a, the, the, it took us a long time to build it because we wanted it perfect and B situations happened and life happened within the business and things changed within the yeah. business. And it just didn't make sense at the time. And then by the time it was, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. Right. So, and yeah. I think, you know, during this pandemic, there can't be a more perfect example of that. Right. Like, something you might have started working on in January of this year makes no sense by March in in many cases. So there has to be a better way. So what does that shift look like? How do you build programs now in a way that you can get it out quickly and also be more impactful? Absolutely. So I think, I think the idea behind having enablement be either modular, modularized versus having it be a massive initiative is one way to think about doing it. So a good example of, where I really tried to apply this agile development uh, process uh, was last summer we were rolling out a new sales process to uh, the sales force. And this was a prime example of our leader saying, we need this, we need this now, get it done and roll it out. And so, you know, what an approach I could have taken would have been met with every single stakeholder, met with every single ops person, revisited, 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 you know, the steps that we were coming up with along the way. And it could have, we could have spent months just defining the sales stages, right? But instead, what we decided to go in with was saying, here's what we know today. Mm-hmm. So here are five main steps in terms of our sales process, just based on, uh, you know, historical data. What do you see as being the most important here? So we were able to better guide our executive level stakeholder conversations to say, here's what we believe, tell me where we're wrong. And it gave them the opportunity to say, yes, you got it. B, eh, I would consider adding it here. So it allowed us to iterate on a framework we had already built. Mm. Once we reached more or less general consensus, what we said to the force was, look, by meeting with your stakeholders and your top performers, these are the key steps that we've identified that show up in most of our successful deal cycles. What my commitment to you today is this is where we're starting and based on data we get from how you apply this process, we'll go back and revisit and iterate it and so it gets better and better because enablement can never be one and done. You never get it right the first time and it's also never static. Products change, competitors change, process change. Market you name it. Yeah, it's a dynamic environment. So when it doesn't make sense to invest all your resources and all your time and all your energy in building one thing when you can get something done out the door and build on it and make it better with time. Because one, it's going to be out of date in a couple months anyway, probably. And two, it signals to the field that you're paying attention, that you care, and that their feedback and how they apply things matter to how you build. So it earns you credibility but it also helps ensure that one, you get stuff done, and two, if you get it wrong the first time, guess what? You say, we're iterating on it. We're gonna make it better. Give me this feedback. I will continue to build. 
what you're describing is a partnership between the people you enable and the enablement team, which is so important, right? And, and, and get that credibility that you're, you're listening to them. I think one of the things that a lot of salespeople sometimes feel is that the team's supporting them, they don't get them, right? Or they don't understand the reality. And either you never sold, or you never sold this product, or you never sold to this person. And, and it might all be true, or it might not, and it might not even matter. But the fact that there's a partnership and they are the people who are going out you know, to battle, so to speak, um, and if yeah. it's example, or today's market, for example, it's a really tough place to go out. And so really having that pulse and say, you know, and one of the things that, that, that I think we both enjoyed, I know I did working at Optimizely is because we were an experimentation company, experimentation was allowed, right? And I think every company should allow it. Like, like try it. And like, we used to say, we're, making, we're doing an experiment and it gave us the right to change it, right? Or to learn from it. And it's yeah. about learnings. But it's what I really hear you saying is that partnership. Because I think one of the challenges with agile enablement is the fear that the enablement will be lacking or the enablement yep. will, be, will be the enablement of the day or the training of the day so how do you work quickly but still produce quality it doesn't have to be perfect but how do you still pull out because if you put the truth is if you put out garbage you're going to lose all credibility so how do you balance 100%. That? that's what people in enablement really struggle with 100%. And I think so. I want to be clear that just because you're getting something done fast and not perfect doesn't mean that doesn't give you an excuse to put out crap enablement, right? Like, yeah. as you taught me very well, right? Like start with your objectives, never do a training without knowing what your behavioral outcomes need to be, right? You need to be able to get up in front of your team and say like, here's this training. We're doing this because we expect that by the end of completing this training, you will be able to defeat this competitor by this much. We believe you will have this increase in pipeline. We'll see, we expect that your win rates will do this. We have to have some sort of metric that's guiding this and we need to be able to speak to that credibly. But you can also add the caveat that, hey, and if this doesn't lead to these results, let us know what did we miss? Because that's what I'm gonna add in here. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's all about, we have to be very upfront with them in terms of saying, look, we don't have all the answers. You, we're gonna start here and we need you to give back to us what you need and then we can make it better, right? So we can build whatever you want us to build. I love building and I love feedback, but this is a two-way street and if we're gonna make this the best enablement possible, it has to be that strategic partnership. So don't enable for the sake of enabling, enable with purpose and enable with, uh, with clarity and, you know, actually like concrete examples of how and why this is going to make their jobs better, easier, sell quicker, sell more, sell, sell whatever. With them. Like we're doing this so that you should do, be able to do this efficiently, productively hit your quotas better or whatever, but we're also doing it as a partnership with you. You're a part of this. And I think that that's a key thing is, uh, you you now become a, a, the feedback could be talked about and being able to point to metrics and we're going to tweak it. We're not going to, and I think, I think what I heard you say is you can't put out garbage. You're not going to say we're throwing it all in the garbage. We're going to iterate. We're going to get better. We're going to make it better. And if you think about right, the evolution of like cell phones, right? We started off with what we would consider now crappy cell phones, but you know, back in the day they were mm -hmm. The, the genesis of the cell phone was great. And then they built on top of that, right? And I think that's what an agile approach does is it, you know, you should never put out crap and it should never be something that's not important to, the, to, to whatever the, the objective of the learner or the salesperson has to be. But it, there's also that, that, that we're going to just continue to iterate it and make it better so that it's, it's, it's best of what you have today. And I think that that's really important. I think metrics that you talked about is, is being able to tie it back to metrics. I mean, it is working. Let's keep it. If it's not working, what is not working? And it might not be throwing out, you know, the entire program. It might be one little piece of it, right? Which is why a, a micro approach. Also, yeah. 
right? You can, you can just fix that one piece that's not working or change, right? It could be it is working, but you went to an entire you know, remote workforce where you can't go and shake a hand with the customer anymore. Well, then you're, the way you approach a sale might be different or the process might change. So I, I really love that. And what I see a lot of companies doing today is creating, and I highly recommend it, is creating like sales enablement um, councils, if you will, where you have the stakeholders mm -hmm. around a project and you might have sales leadership, you might have marketing in the room, you might have a salesperson in the room, you might have someone from success in the room and obviously enablement's in the room and, and you're looking at it from a, from a very holistic perspective. So I think that's really important. Like you have to, but you have to promise the team we're not gonna put out garbage because if you do, it becomes the enablement of the day, the training of the day. They roll their mm -hmm. eyes when you bring it to them and, and, and so you really have to design that alliance with them so that absolutely right and that they and that they want to kind of participate what you hit on that i think is so important is stakeholder and leadership alignment right like if you think about the scalability of an enablement program you know at optimizely we were two people three people being able to drive enablement down the funnel it doesn't happen with us sitting in on one-on-ones it doesn't happen with us sitting in team meetings you know who it happens with it's the sales leaders so yeah. when you have a key stakeholder a key leader uh, involved in all of your programs, being able to have the head of sales, a director of sales, a top performer get up and say like, I believe in this training because this is what makes me better. This is why I think we'll be better. One, it not only lends credibility to your program, but if you have managers aligned, they're gonna drive the effectiveness down. If yeah. it's just you pushing out training and saying, do this account executive, and the leaders are like, what is this? Like, why, are, why is Katie sending me this boneheaded training? Or That's, why are they asking my team to do this, right? To take the yeah. time to do this, right? And then if they don't even talk to their teams about it, it doesn't become part of the culture, right? It just becomes words on a piece yep. of paper or, or, or a module in a, in a learning management system or whatever, rather than, to your point earlier, don't just do it for the sake of enablement. Like a lot, some enablement teams, they have a check the box, I did it. You can't do that, especially exactly. in that time. It's what is, what is the business problem that we're trying to solve? And then what is, what is that feedback loop that, that comes that comes around, yeah. So, yep, how, you know, we talked about the benefits and, and the importance. How do you get this MVP out the door, right? How do you, and then how do you approach the iterative process? What, if maybe you have some examples. I know you mentioned that you did this with a sales process. Yeah, so I think it depends on the program and uh, it also depends on a lot of things, right? Like, does a global pandemic show up? <laughs> like, what, what's, what's going on in your environment, right? Like, with the sales process, what was so, what I loved so much about rolling out a sales process is it's all in Salesforce. And guess what? If people are filling out the process, you're going to get that data right away. Yeah. So you can see clear trends on a weekly, monthly basis saying that like, okay, and our deals that close, 90% of them have this box checked. I'm going to make sure that I really promote this step as being essential in, you know, deals closing down the line. And whether that's meeting with an executive, you know, in stage one versus stage four, we all know that you probably should be doing that. But the point is like with something like a sales process, you get data really quick and you can start making um, adjustments really quick. With something like competitive intelligence, um, that's something that can either change, you know, on a dime or can change as infrequently as a year, right? But the point is you want things, you want to be able to credibly say that this today is accurate. It doesn't necessarily need to be reinvent the wheel, right? Like you do a big competitive training and 
okay, we're going we're gonna to keep iterating on this. We're going to redo the training every year. That's not necessarily what needs to happen, but what you need to make sure is that if there are major changes, things that impact uh, the field in terms of how they sell, how they communicate, how they go up against competitors, that's being reflected and importantly being communicated to the field that like, hey, we did this training, here are the changes we've made and why, and why should you revisit this training? What will it do as a result of coming back? And maybe it looks different from last time to this time, right? Just giving them exactly. that level of review, yeah. I think an, an overabundance of communication is essential, right? Saying, here's where we're at, here's what we're working on, here's what's coming, here's what we've iterated on, is really great in terms of, one, making sure that leadership, even beyond sales, knows exactly where enablement's at so they can provide feedback and context to you. But then also so that the field, you never want to be in a position where, because we all know when things start going bad, people are like, well, we were never enabled on this. What's enablement doing? Mm -hmm. um, being able to have that upfront and continuous feedback loop, one, not only can help feed your enablement roadmap in terms of what you're building, uh, but it also makes sure that everyone's crystal clear on what you're doing to help support them and why is enablement, you know, making sure that they're going to be successful in their jobs. Because the last thing you want is for it to be, you know, end of the quarter and we realize we're behind on a product and all of a sudden people are like, well, clearly they're not being enabled. What's yeah. going on? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So a couple of thoughts on what you said. The, the first thing is, you know, it's a matter of that communication with the seller. So mm -hmm. how do you keep the sellers informed, especially since they're, day, take, take the market they were in today, everybody's sitting in their home offices still in many cases, um, or, and things are changing every day. And we know salespeople love to read updates. So how do you not, so how do you, um, how do you keep the seller informed to know? Cause I think one of the things that I got, got feedback on, um, often in enablement, I don't, how do I know that it's the most true today? Right. How, so how do you, what does that look like? And how do you keep sellers informed of the latest and the greatest that they have when you have this such agile approach that could change on a week? Yeah. So I think that the best way to do this is just something as simple as having a newsletter, right? You can have a weekly newsletter that goes out and says this week in enablement, here's what's changed. Here's what's coming. Here's some interesting things that we think you should check out. And what's cool about doing a newsletter is enablement doesn't have to be something you built. Enablement can be, hey, guess what? Asa over in development found this amazing white paper on selling to developers. Check this out. It can be, it doesn't have to all come homegrown, right? It can be a TED Talk. It can be a YouTube video. So these newsletters don't necessarily have to be a, this week in enablement, we did this, 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 and this is coming. But like, it can also be additional stuff like, want to get better, want to level up, want to improve your game. Here's an interesting book to read, podcast to listen to, video to watch, or here, like go out and talk to someone else. In, or you can go out and interview someone on a product team, be like, hey, John, give me a snapshot on what's going on in this product this week. Like, what are you working on? You can make these things really fun and dynamic. And so that it's not just like a rundown of enablement that's sort of bragging rights. Like here's what we're doing for you team, but it's also giving them stuff that you don't necessarily have to build. Um, so it's a good opportunity to be continuously feeding the field without having to do a massive, let's do uh, well now it's all, you know, over online, but like, let's do a massive, everyone come together and do an hour long training thing. 
Yeah, or even have them have to go through a, a recorded thing. So a few things that come to mind from what you said. First of all, adults learn by building on the knowledge that they already have. And an agile approach allows you to do that, right? So you give the foundation. Yep. You're building on the foundation. And I love your example of it doesn't have to be something that uh, being agile means curating all the resources together. And I think of enablement very often. Some people will call it quarterback quarterbacking I, i'm not a sports person so i think of it as curating like a, i was like, gonna say you've never been a sports person so i'm interested to see where this metaphor goes I, I know i'm supposed to use that word i'm not sure if i'm using it right but <laughs> but i but i could think of like a like a museum curator right who kind of brings the pieces together and then and then mm -hmm. story which is very much what enablement does um and then you know another thing that i'm thinking about is that, that i try to do when i when i do an agile approach is show the, the salesperson or the go-to-market human what's different, what's changed. So they can easily assess, oh, yesterday or last week, you know, this is the information we had. I don't have to read the whole thing over again. These, these are the TLDRs of the changes, of the differences. Yep. If I want to, I can go back and go into deep all thing, into the whole thing very deeply. Or if not, I, and short and, and bullet point is, is, so, is so important for sales teams anyway, or for go-to-market teams anyway, but show them what's changed. And so when you tell them that you know, we're, we're making a change to the sales process, not only what's changed, but why we've changed it based on your feedback, yep. based on the data, based on this competitive change, based on the market change, whatever, here's what we change. So A, they know what's different and they can build on what they already had. B, and if you did it right, they're happy about that change and they don't have to spend hours kind of going back again. Cause that's the thing too, is that you have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Salespeople don't, don't get paid to learn. They need to learn yeah. to do the job better, right? So how can we get them to do the job better? And also see that, yes, you are listening to, and yes, that you're listening to the market. One of the things I think that sales teams, that enablement teams have done really, really well during COVID, for example, is a today in enablement or this week in enablement and not long but how do you keep everybody in the loop of what's going on very short updates is give them that daily or weekly update and i have heard from so many teams that have done that from the salespeople directly how much they're appreciating that it's almost like your new york times yeah. briefing or your wall street journal briefing it's so important for the sales team especially in the market that we're in today when things are so dynamic but even for for an agile approach so i love that and i think that's one thing that i hope that people continue to do when life goes back to normal or whatever normal becomes, but show them what's different and tell them why, and then, and then allow them to build on their, on what they already know. And that actually, not only does it, is that the way adults learn, but it also reinforces what you taught them, you know, a month ago or two months ago. Cause it, it, it's kind of like, as soon as the, the ball starts dropping, you push it back up again. Like, so you, you counter the, the forgetting curve. So it, and the, and you accelerate, yeah. right? So it's so many benefits that. So one question that I had as you were talking yeah. is, so, you know, when we described our waterfall approach to this uh, uh, manager territory like a boss, we had a, a, a roadmap and we were able to sit down and say, here's what we're, you know, with our leadership team and tell them, you know, all the modules that we were doing. And, oh my God, I remember sitting in conference rooms with you for so many mm -hmm. times working on this. And, um, and, oh, and yeah. here, it's going to do, right? I'm getting a little PTSD I from it, actually. Oh my God, I'm picturing us downstairs in the basement in that conference room that had that weird noise and just being like, what, is this the, the right Harry Potter room? <laughs> the Harry Potter room, yeah. But we had a roadmap, right? And we were able to share that roadmap. How, yep. do you, how do you design an agile roadmap or do you design an agile roadmap and how do you let your stakeholders know if, you, if, you, if, if you're going to be iterating on the fly, kind of like starting and ending points and how do you know when you got there, I guess, is the question as well. Yeah. So one thing I've always thought would be a really great way to implement an agile method uh, for our sales enablement team is to actually manage your team and your program 
like you would a sales team, right? Like we should have a sales enablement sales force that tracks the, the ownership of different projects, the, uh, the close dates, the next steps, the where we're at, forecast it, where it's going to be, but then also have your description of what it is and make this readily available to anyone. So they can come and say like, this is what, yeah, it's like, I'm Katie McDowell and I'm forecasting that I'm going to deliver this training on this day. Here are my learning objectives. Here's where I'm at. Here's my red flags, my risk factors. And here's a link to like a more in-depth project plan. And I've always thought that if you had this resource that managers could come see, AEs can come see with different levels of permissioning so they could see like, okay, this is the stuff that's coming. Here's how it builds. And you can kind of get a vision of, you know, where the pieces fit together. And I've always loved thinking about managing an enablement team this way because it's how our leaders manage their people, yeah. right? So we're in alignment with, exactly. Like I want my sales leader to say to me like, Katie, you committed to delivering this on this date and it's going to deliver these results to the business. Where are you at? What do you need? What are your red flags? And have it just be crystal clear and have it be out there. And let's be very honest about, you know, where we're at with these things. Do we have, you know, big red flags? Like, let's say, like, for example, there was going to be a big, um, a big training around one of the products that optimized it that was going to have people going out to different locations and sort of having round table discussions, ask me anything kind of thing on the product. Well, guess what? You're not going to all the offices anywhere. That doesn't work. Yeah. Big red flag. Okay, what's your what's your what's your plan B here? And let's keep track of this in this you know sales enablement forecasting document. Yeah. And then we can all we can have a section for feedback, right? Like here's the ideas, here's stuff here. Like the best thing you can do for your enablement program is open it up for ideas. Like you said, one of the things we both loved about working at a company like Optimizing is it gave you the freedom to try things, try things boldly. And yeah. worst case scenario, if it doesn't work, you learn something, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I've always thought that by having the sort of forecasting document, one, it would allow people to say like, hey, Katie, like I see you're going to deliver this training in July. I don't know if it's going to be needed in July anymore. Like that's something that could be done in November. Or that's something we need to pull forward. Well, great. You can shift resources, but it also gives you as an enablement leader, the foundation to say like, look, you're telling me you need this training in this month while I have my people aligned here. What do you want me to push as a result of pulling that in? Mm. It gives you the foundation to have these hard conversations because we all know that people are like enablement. We need this. We need that. It's a very reactive job yeah. to be in. Yeah. Um, if not managing it. Yeah. Managing it. Like people will cut. Yeah, exactly. But there's always, even if you have the perfect strategy, right? Like a manager's going to be like, we need training on this competitor. We've lost two deals for them. It's like, okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Where did we lose the two deals? How big were the two deals? Yeah, there, there's a lot that we need. So anyway, I feel like having it all up in front in the sort of forecasting format allows you to say like, look, here's what we put forward that you agreed that we need. If you want us to move this up, one, tell me why, two, and tell me what are you willing to sacrifice for us? Because even though we talk about agile and it sounds like, oh, quick and easy enablement, you still need to build it. It's not like it just comes out of thin air. It still takes time. It takes dedication. Like I said, you don't want to build crap enablement for the sake of saying you did enablement. Yeah. You still need to have your uh, learning objectives. You still need to have your executable objectives. You still need your stakeholders. You still need your data. And oh, by the way, you still need to build it. Um, we're just talking about doing it at a smaller scale so you can deploy quickly and get a minimum viable product and then work on it from there. 
Yeah. And I think what I, what you just said about the objectives, I think that's how I would structure it. It's like, we will know our goal is to allow is to have the salespeople or the go to market person or the learner be able to do X. We will know we're done when they can do X. We may have to shift it. Exactly. If no longer do X. We may find a different way to have them do X, but it's about what they have to be able to do rather than when they're, you know, what date we're going to roll out our training. So I think that might be an interesting approach. And what I would love to see in your dashboard to kind of build on your dashboard idea a little bit is where we're iterating, right? What, like when something yeah. changes, this is, you know, this was the change and here's why. So everyone could kind of can kind of um, you know keep keep their eye on that. So I think that's a that's a really great way to like really focus in on what the person has to be able to do. Going back to um, and by when do we need mm -hmm. them to be able to do it, right? If you have because because here's where you, you know sounds perfect in a real world, but if a product is going GA at a certain date, they have to be enabled by that certain date, right? That's that's a fact. Yeah. But, yeah. Know, we, may, we may we may do them like an initial training and then come back a month later and reinforce it and come back with stories and reinforce it from there. But it's it's what we want them to be able to do and then kind of go from there. I know when we're done with this project, when they can do that, right? And when they can do that with, um, with a lot 100%. of time. 100%. Yeah, so that's actually really good. And 100%. it's actually not hard to do. We can, we can actually make that happen. Just having the word agile in your framework gives you the freedom to not feel like you have to get it perfect. Yeah. You need to get it to a really good point, but saying you're going to build and develop and refine and, you know, I, I had this tagline, I was like, you need to iterate to perfection. You're not going to deliver perfection. No matter how much you think it's perfect, there's going to be something you miss. There's going to be something that needs to be tweaked. But giving yourself this agile methodology also lets you take a breath of fresh air knowing that I got something great out the door and I'm just going to get, it's going to get better. I'm going to build on it. That's my commitment. And I'm going to deliver something that's going to be really long standing versus you know, just one big brain dump and, oh, we're never going to talk about this. Because nobody remembers a brain dump anyway, right? So kind of like the yeah. love that iterate to perfection and really focus on what I'm reminded about in this whole conversation is really thinking about what does a person have to be able to do, right? Because if you can do that, then you can do it in bite-sized pieces and remember how adults actually learn. And then, and then it, it, I think the kind of to, to bring a full circle, the, the, the alliance you create with the salespeople is we know that market conditions are going to change. We know that buyers are going to change. So therefore our enablement will be able to change along with you. So you'll always be getting the latest and the greatest. And I think if you take that approach and, and they're a partner in this, and, and not only the salesperson, but the sales leadership and the marketing leadership and the, the executive leadership, they all know that there's a team that's looking forward to, that's looking at what's the reality of what's going on in the real world and, and taking that approach. And then there are some things, like I like to, when you have a bigger sales team, like when you work at a company like AWS or something, you may have some people that work on waterfall projects, which might make sense, and then have some people work on some more yeah. projects. Like I've been working with a team now where we have some people that own long-term projects that make sense for the company, but then have, have two or three people on the team that only do situational or, or agile. And if you have the luxury of a larger team, then sure, you can do that. If you're a smaller team, you can't, right? And so I think you have to kind of know your balance, but there's always a, a big space for, for agile enablement. So I, I really, really appreciate the conversation. I, I, before we close, you are probably one of the most positive people I know you look at the world with rose colored glasses and, and I can tell see so many stories of that um, so I'm really curious from your perspective what is one thing that you think will change not necessarily professionally in the world or professionally for the better as a as a result of the current 
pandemic and, and uh, aftermath that we find ourselves in today. So one thing that you, it's funny you say that, like I remember us doing our insights and I got the double sunshine yellow. Uh, like but the one brightest thing, yellow possible. Like, like yeah. they were just like, there is no more yellow than Katie McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I would say that the positive that I'll come out of this is I really think coronavirus has humanized people in a way that we didn't think was possible. If you remember about a year ago, there was that video on CNN of that guy and his kid comes running in, the mom's chasing yeah. after him in the background. And everyone was like, can you believe this? How crazy is this? Like, yeah. so funny, yada, yada, yada. Well, guess what? That's our real life now. We have kids in the background. I was just on a global enablement call, and all of a sudden in the background you hear, Mommy, can I watch Carmen Sandiego? And the person <laughs> hosting the call had to stop and say, no, that's too violent. Um, yeah. Like, coronavirus has humanized us and made us be more sensitive to the fact that we're more than just workers. Yeah. We're people with families we're people with dogs we're people that have passions and other things and you know living in a world where you're confined home that that sort of unifies us i hope that carries forward yeah i i so agree with you and i think you know work is a means to an end and i think now people see that right and they and they and they see that shift because we're all human so great perspective i do hope it's true and thank you so much for taking the time to really share your wisdom and, and talk through this. I think it's something that's, that you're very, very passionate about and it comes through. And I think it's something that all enablement people are trying to figure out how to do. And uh, the pandemic has taught us we have to do it. If we were thinking about it until now, we now have to figure out how to do it. So really appreciate your perspective and you sharing your examples. Um, and I still think we should get that program out the door somehow <laughs> to somebody. Yes, we'll have to go back and uh get into optimizing, release it to the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody should see it. Well, thank you so much, Katie. So appreciate your time today. And uh, yeah, stay safe, stay, stay human, right? You too, Roz. All right, thank Take you. care. As we close out today's episode, we would like to thank purpleplanet.com for our music production. And we thank you for listening. We encourage you to get in touch with us with any requests for future topics, any questions that you have, or just to say hello. We can be found at level213.com, that's L-E-V-E-L, -E and then the digits 213.com. Or you can always find us on LinkedIn as well. Have a great day.